Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day. That's the first great thing he said. And the second thing he did was, For today the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. Wow, he gave the Lord the glory. They didn't raise their banner and put Saul up on a seat. Man, he's the guy. He's the guy. You know, they didn't do it. Saul said, You know what? No one's getting hurt today. God gave us this victory. And that was the first and the last great thing Saul ever did. Today on Truth in Christ, our scripture says, Not a man shall be put to death this day. Saul wisely knew this was no time to take revenge on his opponents. Satan, having failed in the attack through Nahash, now tried to attack Israel, even in victory, by dividing the nation against each other. Saul was the man the Lord raised up to bring the victory, yet Saul himself knew that it was the Lord who did the saving, and Saul was humble enough to acknowledge that. Just as today, we must always remember that at times of victory, Satan is ready to tempt us to take the credit for ourselves. Now here's Pastor Rob. Just suffice it to say that there can be small little errors and copyists, and so different numbers, because the Septuagint records a higher number. Not a big deal. It's just something in passing to be mindful of. So notice in verse 9, And they said to the messengers who came, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow by this time the sun is hot, you shall have help. And then the messengers came and reported it to the men of Jabesh, and they were naturally very glad, because now they've got an army They were very small, but now they know the men of Benjamin from Gabeah are going to come, and they're going to help them. Therefore, the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Tomorrow we will go out to you, and you may do with us whatever seems good to you. And so the men of Nahash, of Ammon, they're thinking, These guys are done. We're going to take out their eyes, and they're going to be a a reproach. And so this gave the Ammonites a, a false sense of security. And you can understand the, the mental warfare here. Um, you know, when you've got something up your sleeve that your enemy doesn't know, it gives them a false sense of security. So these guys are thinking, this is going to be an easy battle. These guys are going to come marching out. We're going to have our way with them. But they're going to be surprised because an army was on its way, unbeknownst to them. And you know, for us, as we look at this tonight, I want to encourage you tonight that help is on the way. Help is on the way. We see this in Revelation. We'll see it on Sunday when we look at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Believe me, help is on the way. 
Do you know that? Help is on the way. It's none other than Jesus Christ. He is the greatest help. He is the helper. What does the, the Bible say? He's the paraclete. He's the helper, the comforter. But there is help coming on the way, folks. Not only for just us, but for the whole entire world, for those who believe in Jesus. Help is on the way. He's coming very soon. He's coming very soon. Don't get discouraged. Your king is on his way. Can I get a smile? Everybody smile. Yeah, even the clap is good. You know, you can even dance in the halls. You know, Jesus is on his way. He is our help. And so it was, verse 11, on the next day that Saul put the men in three companies and they came into the midst of the camp. Notice, underline this, in the morning watch and underline three companies. That'll make sense to you in just a minute. But underline three companies, underline in the morning watch. And what happened? They killed Ammonites until the heat of the day. So as the sun is not even at noon yet, they are having a great victory over their enemy. And it happened that those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were together. And see, this is, um, is interesting because this was Saul's first battle as king. And I had you underline those things about it being in three companies and also in the morning watch. If you underline those, put in the margin of your Bible, Judges chapter 7. Because when you look at Judges chapter 7, again, just quickly, what happened there? You remember when Gideon went out against the Midianites, the Amalekites. Remember, he had a big army, and God says, you got too many, too many guys. I'm going to give you something to do to whittle down the size, and and I'll take the real faithful, faithful, faithful warriors with you into battle. And it came down, there was only like 300 guys after this test that God had devised. So here's Gideon with 300 men going up against several thousands of men. And you remember what they did. Gideon divided the hundred or the three hundred into three groups, three groups of a hundred with the pitchers and the, and the torches. Remember that inside the lanterns and, the, and they'd smash the lantern and the light would show and then they'd give a shout and, and this really confused the enemy. It was psychological warfare. And notice that Saul in his very first battle, he pulls the same thing. He catches the enemy off guard. He goes in three companies. He does it in the middle of the night. They say the morning watch is somewhere between 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. So this is the darkest part of the night. And these guys are on the march, unbeknownst to the Ammonites who are thinking, boy, when the sun comes up, this is going to be an easy victory. And if they could only see in the distance, if the sun was up, they could probably see the dust rising as the army was approaching, right? Can you picture it in your head? I I love to do that as I read the Bible. I actually picture it in my mind, and it sticks there, and it's such a wonderful thing. So verse 12, it says, So the people... Then the people said to Samuel, Who is he who said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. And so it's interesting. After they have this great battle against the Ammonites, they're victorious. It is like a, it's like a revival in the, in the nation of Israel. They got their first king, their first battle. There is a big celebration. You understand what that's like? Maybe you've had a great victory. Something really special in your life has happened. And everything is just like, wow, it's just jubilance. Mass jubilance. 
Everyone is excited. And that's the way they were. They were on a high with King Saul and this victory. And they foolishly now, they, they, they want to kill the men who originally didn't want anything to do with Saul. Do you remember what happened when Saul was anointed king by the people? It tells us just in the chapter before, in verse 25, in chapter 10. What did it say? It says that Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty, explaining what your king, which is a bad thing for you guys, you shouldn't be asking for a king. God was your king. What's the matter with you? What's the matter with your head? What is wrong with you? (laughs) And so Samuel explains to them the behavior of royalty. He wrote it in a book, laid it before the Lord, and Samuel went away, and the people went away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and valiant men, notice, went with Saul, whose hearts God had touched. But notice verse 27 of 1 Samuel 10. But some rebels said, how can this man save us? And so they despised him, and they brought him no presents, no gifts that day. But he held his peace, Saul did. These are the men that now they want blood lust. Who are those men? You know, because they're all pumped up with excitement. We got this great king, this great battle. Where are those guys that said Saul was nothing? Bring them here, we're going to cut their heads off. Can you see it? In their zeal, they're just like, they're not done with blood yet. They, they want to finish this thing off right now. They want their pound of flesh. They were greatly zealous after the victory, but it was a misguided zeal. Do you know what misguided zeal is? This is a picture of it. When you're all excited and you're just so full of the flesh that you forget what you're supposed to be doing. You forget doing the right thing. You just follow your own feelings. Feelings are very dangerous. Be careful of your feelings, folks, especially when you're angry. Oh, my, I've gotten myself into so much trouble with misguided zeal. When you're angry, you've got to really be careful. Something I'm still learning But in Leviticus chapter 19, what does it say in verse 17? Were they to hate these guys? Were they to get bloodlust satisfied? In Leviticus 19 verse 17 it says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart. And what were they doing? They were hating them. You shall shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. And what are they doing? They're doing that very same thing. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. Boy, they're doing that right now. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. There's the example. There's the exhortation. And now these guys are on a buzz from all the victory. They're like, let's just kill these guys. Not even realizing they're breaking the law. Breaking the law. Misguided zeal. And there is, there is always perhaps more danger for us after a victory. After a victory. When you're, we are more prone to the flesh after a victory than when we are going through something tough. Because when you're going through something difficult, chances are your antenna is up. You're very careful because you know you're in the battle. It's like when soldiers go to battle and they're in the, in the woods or they're in the forest or the jungle. They're looking around. They're sight, they're, everything is heightened. Their sense of hearing. They're, they're quiet. They're listening for a twig breaking. They're on, they're on guard of the enemy. But what happens when we have just been off a of victory? We kick back in the hammock with a drink. We have lots of idle time on our hands. We deserve this time in the flesh, right? And see, the devil doesn't care when and how he does it, but it's always, he is always looking for those areas when we don't have our guard up before he springs his trap. And that's just the way the flesh is. And this requires us, doesn't it, to walk circumspect. 
circumspect. It means to look around and, and to, be in, to be seeing all, all around you and to know that you're to live a circumspect life, knowing that you are a fishbowl. Whether you like it or not, as a Christian, you need to walk circumspectly because everyone around you is looking at your life, especially once they know you're a Christian. They're, they want to know if you're the real deal. They want to know if you're the real McCoy. <laughs> and so they're looking. In Ephesians 5, 15, it says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. To walk circumspectly. The devil doesn't care. After a victory, he loves to spring his trap. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 15, or 16 really quick. Matthew 16. Matthew 16. This is a, uh, one of the lessons of Peter, which I think we can all understand, and perhaps you've been in a situation like this. I know I have. And it's exactly relatable to what we're looking at now. They've just had this great victory, and now they're going to step right in it. They're going to step right in the stuff on the cement, right? <laughs> they're going to step in the camel dung. They've just had this great victory. But you know what? We are all the same. Isn't that what the Bible says? The Lord fashions our hearts alike. He knows that we are dust. We're just... Apart from him, we are just, we are a complete mess. And that's why we need Jesus. That's why I need Jesus. And we're going to see Peter doing the same exact thing that we see in these guys. And it's no, no different than any one of us. Notice with me at Matthew 16, beginning in verse 15. Remember, as Jesus takes them up into the um, Caesarea Philippi, where there was a, a center up there. When we go to Israel, you visit this place where this was actually happening. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Because the question was, who do you say that I am? Uh, you know, and so Simon Peter, 16, verse 16, he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And boy, did the bells go off and the lights go off and all the cash came out of the little hole at the bottom. <laughs> you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I will also say to you that you are Peter. You are Petros. But on this rock, or Petra, upon this rock, this truth that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, this huge boulder, this huge mountain, upon that Petra, I will build my church. And guess what? The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you not only that, but the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. What a great moment, a high for Peter. He finally got it right. I find myself like this. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Lord, I finally did something right. He's like, just give it a few minutes, Rob. And that's what happens here. Notice verse 21. From that time, Jesus then begins to tell his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and he must be killed and raised the third day. And so Peter, now on this high of this having the keys of the kingdom, blessed are you, Simon Marjona. You're just, you're, man, you are the, you are, you should be president. You're so awesome. You've got all this going for you. You need a cell phone and, and, a, and a, you know, a really fancy car with leather interior made of Corinthian leather from the island. So Peter is on this thing. He's like, oh, no, 
that's not going to happen to you, Lord. I'm your man. I'm your right-hand guy. I'm not going to let that happen. And what does it say? Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. How far did Icarus fall from the stars? As he was soaring up and his wings got melted by the wax and then, sorry I'm bringing in Greek mythology inside of the Bible, but the idea is that he's falling. (laughs) He was up at this height and now he's just falling to the earth. Pretty horrible thing. Get behind me, Satan. Now, I'm sure, I wonder if Jesus was looking right at him or whether he was looking off to the side and saying, get behind me, Satan, for you don't savor the things of God but the things of man. And so Peter, just like the, the men here of, of, of Benjamin, so excited. And then the very next moment, they, they do something so hideous. So this, verse 13, circle this, underline it, put stars by it, because this is the first and the greatest moment, and unfortunately also Saul's last great moment. Because notice what he said. This is so biblically wonderful. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day. That's the first great thing he said. And the second thing he did was, for today, the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. Wow, he gave the Lord the glory. They didn't raise their banner and put Saul up on a seat. Man, he's the guy. He's the guy. You know, they didn't do it. Saul said, you know what? No one's getting hurt today. God gave us this victory. And that was the first and the last great thing Saul ever did. From this moment onward, you're going to see Saul's life slowly, slowly fade to black. But this was it. Mercy and truth was on display. And mercy, he didn't allow the men to be put to death. In Numbers 14, verse 18, it says, The Lord is long-suffering. He's abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, it says in other portions. Proverbs 3, verse 3 says, Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the table of your heart. Proverbs 14:22 Do not go astray who divide or, I'm sorry do they not go astray who devise evil but mercy and truth belongs to those who devise good So now in truth in mercy he he doesn't allow the men to be killed and in truth he acknowledges who the true victor of this battle is it's God almighty Remember the battle always belongs to the Lord the battle belongs to the Lord your battle right now Our battles, they all belong to the Lord. Do you go before the Lord and say, Lord, help me in my battles? Or do you try to figure them out in your own flesh? So often we do the last. We do the latter. We try to figure it out in our own strength to to win the battle. First place we should go is our knees. And I I need to learn this because there's so many times that I don't do this. I go to the Lord last instead of first. I try to exhaust all my energy and then then he's like, why didn't you just ask? I would have just done something. (laughs) Because I'm an idiot, Lord. And you can almost hear the Spirit going, Amen to that. He really is an idiot. Thank God he's saved. This guy's keeping me up at night. My guardian angels are running overtime. They're getting time, double time and a half because I'm keeping them so busy. But the battle belongs to the Lord. You remember in Samuel chapter 17, David and Goliath, I loved it. 
David said to the Philistine, he said to Goliath, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, I love this, I love this. I'd love to see, go back and watch the video. Lord, can you just rewind the video for us? He says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I just, I just pictured David with a snarl on his face, you know, his upper lip doing that. I just, oh, this is such a manly chapter. Every man is going yes, and all the women are going, will you just please get over with it? This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you, and I will take your head from you. This little guy and this giant, full of armor, got an armor bear coming out front. David's like, I'm going to do this to you, and then when I'm done doing that, this is what I'm going to do to you. And I'm going to do it in the name of the Lord. And this guy's going, <laughs> let's see you do it, short stack. And David gets out that rock and he starts to wing, he starts to tour and he takes off toward him. I just love it. Uh, every time I, every, you know, I, I think every time I share this, I get so pumped up. I get so excited. Forgive me. Will you forgive me? Say amen. Forgive me. Forgive me. Richard, do you forgive me for that? Ugh. Yeah, and he notice he says, I will strike you and I'll take your head from you, and this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. It's going to be all-you-can-eat chicken. And then all the earth shall know that there is a God in heaven, and then all the assembly shall know that the Lord, Jehovah, does not save with sword and spear. Notice what he says, for the battle is the Lord's. David didn't even have confidence in himself, even though he could have confidence with that sling and stone, because boy, was he good with it. As he was out there in the fields and those, the bear and the lion would come after one of his sheep, he'd take a rock and stick it in there and he would just whack and knock that thing and just knock that animal right out. The battle belongs to the Lord and he will give you into our hands. I love the zeal, the confidence. You know, it almost seems to most people that he's being really cocky. But you know what? I think you can be with the Lord. Not your own strength. In his strength, you can boast in the strength of God because it's truth, isn't it? Isn't he all-powerful? Isn't that what the Bible tells us? He's all-powerful. So you can boast in it, Christian. I love what it says in Proverbs 21, verse 31. It says, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the deliverance is of the Lord. But deliverance is of the Lord. Have your armies, have all your big horses and all the, you know, big guns with the little lights on them, you know, crimson trace, little red dot on Goliath's forehead. You can do all that stuff, but the deliverance is of the Lord. And see, these that we see in verse 13 here, these are good traits of a good leader. Like I said, it was his first and last best moment. But Saul would quickly become unhinged as his disobedience to God, and he would ultimately come unhinged because of his great jealousy for David. Notice in verse 14, Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingdom. Because now they're so excited. They got this big battle. Let's go to Gilgal. Remember what Gilgal was? That was the first city they came to when they, when they came over into the promised land, when they were coming through the desert. Remember, coming up from Egypt, going through the, the desert, and they cross over the Jordan. The first place they make camp that night is Gilgal, and that's where they circumcise the men who hadn't been circumcised in the desert for 40 years. They do it again there, and then they go against Jericho and defeat it. But they go there to renew the kingdom. 
So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made King Saul before the Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal, and there they made sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel they rejoiced greatly. And Gilgal again was to remind them of what happened in the past at that second circumcision of the children of Israel. And that's exactly what they should have done and should be continuing to do from this point onward is to sanctify, to put away the flesh. There's nothing wrong with celebrating a victory. There really isn't. In fact, I think it honors God when we celebrate a victory. We just have to be really careful how we celebrate and that we don't let our guard down. As Christians, we can't afford to let our guard down. I've let my guard down. I get leveled every time. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.